0: Hi, and welcome to Recovered, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. Each week, a recovered alcoholic woman is interviewed and asked questions about certain topics surrounding her journey of recovery with your host, Stephanie Crawford. Whether you're in recovery yourself contemplating giving it a try or just supporting someone who is we are so glad you're here thanks for listening
1: all right hello podcast listeners my name is stephanie crawford and i am the host of this here podcast recovered interviews with alcoholic women and i am very excited about today's guest uh, she was recommended by our lovely Kristen Andrus, and so I'm very excited to um, hear what she has to say. We have finally um, gotten together to make this work. Based on our conversation, I feel like she is definitely like-minded um, in the way that we think at the Magdalene House, and so very, very excited for this one, and um, her name is Nikki. And she is joining us. Where are you joining us from, Nikki? Uh, Kerrville, Texas. Kerrville, Texas. Awesome. Um, Well, if you don't mind just giving us some background information about yourself, you can say your sobriety date if you choose to, what your drinking looked like and what led you to get sober.
2: Okay. Hi, my name is Nikki Maloney. I'm a recovered alcoholic. (laughs) Hi. i deeply ingrained there. Um, so yeah, I've been sober since August fifth, twenty sixteen. And man, this was not the first time I tried to get sober. I've been in and out of the rooms, you know, do, like going to treatment and and just trying really hard to get and stay sober for for keeps since um, December of twenty eleven was when I went to treatment. I always end up starting there for some reason, even though it's like counterintuitive, because that is when I feel like this part of who I am was born and started to actually like become a human. When I got to treatment, um, it was after years of, I started, you know, I started drinking, I want to say at an early age, but I think most of us can relate at like, you know, 13, 14 years old. And then by the time I was 15, I truly believe believe that I was a full-blown alcoholic. Um, I spent from 15 to 21 is how old I was when I got to that treatment center, trying to stop literally dozens of times. I would go on binges, like that cycle of alcoholism. The first time I saw it where it's like the mental obsession, I'm lying to myself. I'm like, okay, I haven't drank in this long. It's fine. It's fine. I can just go for a day, just get really loaded, get like, get it out of my system and everything's going to be fine. And then I'm going to stop and I'll take care of business. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to graduate. I'm going to do the things. And then as soon as it hit my body, just off to the races, a physical reaction would happen. And I would feel like I'm going to die if I can't get more. And the spree would last for however long, weeks, months. Consequences were usually internal, just like dying inside and shame and anxiety and increased depression, swearing I'm never going to do this again, breaking bottles, throwing everything away, snitching on myself to my parents, you know, like really trying to do a thing, asking to go to rehab, you know, um, and then internally just like suffocating. Like the restless, irritable, and discontent for me really looked like the only words I was able, ever able to describe. Like what it felt like inside of me was empty and lost, and I would just—it was like my mantra. Um, I painted my walls in my room red, and then took a sharpie and would write like Slipknot lyrics and emo lyrics, and just like, and then just write lost everywhere um, and empty. And I'm like, oh, and everyone's like, "What's wrong?" I'm like, "I don't. It's just me." And now I understand it's just untreated alcoholism, like it all started to make sense. So then the mental obsession goes back. It's like, oh, God, I'm just so depressed. I'm so anxious. You know, it's always helped is if I just get loaded and then everything's going to be fine, which I didn't see back then that the reason why I mean, granted, yes, I do still deal with like depression and anxiety, but it's completely manageable due to the the different tools that I've gotten in in the 12 steps especially meditation for me honestly and (laughs) I mean not completely manageable all the time like let's be real sometimes it's a lot and there I don't feel the need to ruin my life and get loaded over it But back in the day it's just like well this will fix it this -hmm. will make me feel better even though it's like one of the root causes of it I also was one of those people that, like, I crave connections so bad, um, and humans, and I always believed that I did not deserve it, um, and I didn't fit in, and I had nothing to offer anybody, so when I started getting loaded, instead of being like, hey, do you want to hang out, because then my brain goes to then what, what am I going to do, they're going to see me, they're going to realize I have nothing to say, um, then it was, hey, do you wanna hang out and get loaded? And all I have to do is provide some stuff and like, we're all good, man, you know? Um, and full transparency, it worked for a while, you know? And I I had some friends that I got really close with um, and we were like-minded individuals and we were never sober and we loved each other immensely. And it's like that thing. I'm a big believer that that both can exist, quote unquote. It was very toxic. They were not great friends. I was not a great friend, and we loved each other dearly
1: when you say both can exist, you mean like the toxicity and love at the same time? One hundred percent that's
2: been that has been um a huge pattern in my life with uh, and I'll just say it like my my mom, was a really bad alcoholic I love her so much and I didn't respect her and I was very angry at her both can exist when she died I grieved severely and I was relieved both can exist
1: watch gotcha. that makes sense
2: you know and that was always part of like my alcoholism and like some outside issues is this really black and white thinking and it would drive me crazy You know, (laughs) so being able to be like, okay, no, I'm not crazy. This is human, right? Because my brain looked for any reason to discredit myself and believe that, like, I am hopeless. I am worthless. I am a terrible human. I just need to die from drinking. Like, that was my goal, is the truth. Yeah. But both, both can exist. I also wanted nothing more than to be sober and make people proud and, like, be a good human but I didn't think I could.
1: Yeah. I get that. That was me too.
2: Yeah, okay. man. It's such a weird thing. I always said that like, I was, I was a weird alcoholic. Cause like, I wanted, I really want to make people proud, like, and the idea of disappointing it anytime I'd come home and I'd be drunk. Like I, like I lied. Like most of us did And yes, it was to get away with it, but it was also because, like, I was so scared of my dad being mad at me, and I was so scared of them seeing me as anything less than, like, trying to go to school and graduate. I'm going to do this if I was in summer school every single year, because I could not get to class. I would sit in my classroom and feel like I was crawling out of my skin. I'm like, I have to get out of here, and I have to go get loaded. I have to do it. So I would. Summer school, though, smaller classes, shorter days. I aced everything. I got hundreds, you know, and it was just weird. Yeah, God, what a time to be alive. I had a similar experience,
1: except for mine was um, I didn't do summer school. I did alternative school. I ended up there, too. Yeah, because I could not. It was like the same thing with regular school. Like I had I had to leave. Uh, I was crawling out on
2: my skin. I could not
1: stand it and I had to go drink.
2: 100 it was like those firm resolutions every day me and my best friend liana i will never forget i think it was the first year of 11th grade we and it's so funny because like we get to school and then first period we leave we walk down the road and i'm from long island new york right so it's just like trees everywhere and woods and i i love it there so very much and we go down to like the rock quote unquote, you know, their nicknames for every spot and we're getting loaded. We're like, okay, this year, we're going to go to, we're going to do it. We're going to, we're going to pass everything. We're going to do our homework and by, and then we went back to school and by fifth period, we're like, we got to go, we got to go. We're too sober. (laughs) This doesn't work. You know, Mm. I'm like, I cannot sit in this room with these people, restless, irritable why is she breathing so loud you know discontent no matter what anyone gave me I was still not okay I was convinced it's because I grew up super poor we don't have any money I don't have any worth I just need a job I just need a car fast forward to I'm 21 before I went to treatment everyone thinks I moved to Texas to go to treatment because that's typically how that goes Mm -hmm. and then we stay I did not going to treatment was a byproduct of me transplanting.
1: Same. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, man. Everyone always asked, did you come down here for treatment? I
2: was like, no. No, sure didn't. I came here to run away. Same. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the things that I always, like, I'm, me personally, I'm not trying to, like, dog anything or, like, put it down. But for me, like, the slogans, like, just don't do it for me. Right, Mm -hmm. I hear like, oh, you need to change people, places, and things. I'm like, that sounds like an Al Anon problem. People, places, and things aren't my problem. Alcohol is my problem. My mental illness, that we call the mental obsession, is my problem. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because I moved 3,000 miles from everything I knew, withdrawing in the car, cold turkey, with my normie stepmom, and my cats, and my dogs, and everything we own in a minivan. Because I called, I was like, you need to come get me, I'm gonna die and detox myself for weeks just to end up with a felony in Texas for the first time. Wow. I mean, just, I mean, it was, it was insane. I wanted so bad to stop, right? And there, there's a part in the book that says, um, unable to stop, uh, no matter how great the necessity or, or wish. And that just like the first time I read that book, I really didn't want to, I was like, no, my stepdad needs this because he's a really bad alcoholic. Like, And I do want to be clear on that. I I, I was born addicted to crack. Um, my mom and my stepdad <clears throat> were bad alcoholics. I moved out of there when I was 13. And with my dad and my stepmom thinking that they were the normal and safe ones, I was incorrect. My dad was smoking crack the whole time. My stepmom doesn't know what the hell's going on. I'm getting loaded with my mom and with my dad in both houses. You know what I mean? like a lot going on my cousin Andy who I love so much died when I was 13 that was like and I say that because when I went to treatment when I was 21 my counselor and the treatment team asked my dad and my stepmom who I moved to Texas with they're like you know what was the why does she it's like what what's the what's the thing here even though they were on like the same page as us you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and or maybe they didn't ask. My dad just did the super codependent thing. They're like, so ever since Andy died, that's that's what it was. It's because Andy died. I'm 21 at this point, And I still believe the lie that when I was 13, that's why I'm still ruining my life, right? I have to believe that because it's the only thing that makes sense because I don't want to do this, is my truth. I want so badly to have a different life and yet I keep doing it. So I found something that not only made, kind of made sense to me like oh I went through this really horrific thing and several horrific things so that's why and then my parents were like yes that must be why because she's good and I did have that growing up like my mom told me "You're head and shoulders above the rest of these kids and you know like I was always told that I'm beautiful and loved and all I, I did have that to a fault if anything I'm like my ego is out of control <laughs> like I am the best you know but <laughs> But that treatment center was the first place I heard, like, no, that's not why you do this. That doesn't make sense. Right? And wow. so I I pushed it a lot because it was as much as it, like, broke my heart, you know, because you took away my justification. And now you're telling me that the reason is me. It was such a relief, you know, because if the reason why I was getting loaded all these years was because, you know, my stepdad abused my mom, you know, if the reason why was because Andy died when I was 13. All those things happened, right? I've been removed from all those things for a significant amount of time at this point. So if those are the reason, they're just fact. I'll never be able to stay sober, right? can't change those things, but I can change and, Or if it's because my dad is a narcissist and just like, what is happening there? Or, you know what I mean? Or like, because I'm in a different place and, and like all these different external things, I cannot change those things. So there's not really hope. So when we flip the narrative it's like, no, it's because you have a mental illness called a mental obsession and an internal condition, as much as like, it's it's like in the book where it says none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of pride that the program requires for its successful consummation. We don't like that because it's like, oh, wait, but no, it's them. It's not me, right? When I am actually seeking a solution, when I actually want to do the work and like want am willing to do whatever it takes to get well, it does turn out to be such a relief. It's like, oh, thank God I'm the problem because I can do something about that, right? not on my own power, I don't know what to do, but thank God I have some people here that clearly do because they have time sober and they've done it. And I think that, you know, we talk about the stigma a lot and I think that that's really important. And in my view, continuing to blame trauma and grief and loss and all that stuff actually makes the stigma much worse. And here's why (laughs) I believe that. So I have um, my best friend, Pinky. We met, I always say, the first day of freshman year of high school. And she's like, no, you didn't talk to me until the second day. So I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, but (laughs) she gave me an Everett Levine folder. We were the only like rocker alternative kids in the class. And it's history ever since. Pinky's a normie. However, me and Pinky's like trauma, family of origin stuff is parallel. And in high school, like our friends who are dying, we lost the same people. And her dad and her, I'm not going to go into her stuff. However, I can just say it was very, very, very similar. Me and Pinky would get loaded together. She, we were best friends. She was around and she would dabble with us, right? Like us that are actually (laughs) drug addicts and alcohol, you know what I mean? She would dabble and, and get drunk. But when we would drink, we'd like be at this guy's house, you know, you know the story, right? Um, And we're all drinking and she would like drink a little bit and we are plastered. I specifically am plastered and she's just chilling. And I'm like shaming her. I'm like, drink more! We're, like, what's wrong with you? And she was like, no, I like to watch you guys just make fools of yourselves. Like, this is my entertainment. I asked her recently, I'm, like, Pinky, why don't you drink? Because she does here and there, but not like us, right? And she goes, well, I don't like the way that it tastes more than I like the feeling. I'm sorry, what? Let me tell you something. I'm a kind of alcoholic that people are like. Oh, wine tasting. You're like, la, la, la. I don't get that. I think alcohol tastes disgusting, all of it, except for maybe like one. But I hate, I hate it, and I would, I would drink it because I like the effect produced, and that's it. I don't care about how it tastes. I don't care about the fancy oh let's make you no give me the bottle shut up leave me alone let me puke it's fine you know what I mean like I'll just figure it out so whenever like I actually that was a big step one experience for me was thinking about her she just stopped she looked around saw our friends how crazy we had gotten she was like oh god no I'm good right so when I look at Pinky and she's like, why are you doing this again? Because she loves me so much. She She's still one of my biggest supporters. I love her. I got to go to New York recently and see her and very grateful. She was at my mom's funeral. She's just a good one, you know. And I look at her and I, and I tell her all these reasons that she too has gone through. And she's like, that doesn't make sense. That's a really bad excuse. Why are you doing this? And I'm like, I just told you. She's like, no, you didn't. Because I'm not doing it. Right. So then, like, honestly, my what I've seen a lot is we sit there and gaslight and minimize normies' experiences. I'm like, but you don't understand how I feel. And they're like, okay, (laughs) I'm heartbroken too. I just don't see the need to go black out and ruin everything around me because of it. And it's like, right, because you don't have the mental obsession. Right. Like, now I get it. Now it makes sense. I don't feel and that's always something. Why do you drink? I'll ask like a client in treatment or a sponsee. Well, because I just, it's because of my feelings. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. You don't produce unique emotions. Everybody feels that and they don't go off to the bitter end because of it. So why do you drink? Let's get clear on that, you know? Because I really do think that it, it causes more turmoil for us as like the recovery community and active alcoholics for that matter. Um, and it's just a lack of understanding. It's just ignorant. And when I say ignorance, that's just lack of understanding, right? Not not a bad thing. And a lot of it's our fault because we're we're in the rooms and teaching people and we're teaching them just a false narrative, right? And they're depending on us to give them the truth because they don't know it. But yeah, man, so any hoodle, like, um, just back to, I guess, the question at hand, I I go to treatment. Um, This book gets taught to me by this man with an eye patch, and it was just, like, the most amazing. I was enthralled. Like, I wouldn't read it for the first, like, week. And then I read Bill's story. And mind you, I'm in Texas at this point. Bill is from New York. So I'm like, oh, okay, so he understands me. I've said full-blown accent. You know what I mean? Like, I'm fresh out of New York. Um, I'm like, okay, all right. But I'm like, he's, you know, this old white guy from the 1930s. And I'm like, you know, it's not going to be. And even though it looked completely different, I remember being just like, roped in, but he's like, you know, and I wrote in the Bible and I swore, I was like, oh, this is the part where he gets sober. And I thought it like three or four different times. I'm like, wait, he's drinking again. What is going on? You know? And that got me. And then like reading, there is a solution. Just that line sparked something in me. And I was like, I believe you. Reading a vision for you. Is that a vision for me? Oh, like, I don't have any. My vision is death. Like I'm, I remember being in step one class and they're going through the cycle. It resonated with me, but they kept doing the thing. Like you're going to die, you know? And finally after a while, cause I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I need to just be honest. I raised my hand. I'm like, but what if that's the goal? Like, what if I'm okay with that? And I'll never forget the RA looks me dead in the eye. She goes, you know what, Nick, knowing your luck, you're going to live. You're going to live for the next 50 years and you're going to be absolutely miserable until this disease finally takes you out. So you might as well just do something about it now. I was like, okay, that's fair. That's probably really true, actually. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I
1: totally relate to that because it's like, you know, maybe I won't die. And because I remember towards the end, it was like the goal was to die. And then when I would wake up, I'd be pissed yeah and so it's like, maybe you won't die. Maybe you will live this way for fifty years, wanting every single day wishing you would die, being so dark, and you can't. And that yep. to me almost seems worse, so
2: much worse, so yeah. much worse. And like the truth was, is like, it was such a weird thing because, like, as much as I did, just, I truly believe that I never actually wanted to die. I just wanted that piece of me to die, you know, because I would get scared. I was like a careful alcoholic, you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, that's too much or that. Oh, we can't do that because like we might die. But here was the kicker is it says in the book, right? He was living, one might say, only to drink. That was my truth. My fear was if I died, then I couldn't get loaded again. I stayed alive at a FOMO for a long time. Oh God, it's so wild. But, you know, so I had a really incredible, you know, Bill Wilson, 1942 said our chief responsibility to the newcomer is uh, adequate presentation of the program. And I had that. I'm very, inc- I am so incredibly grateful for that. I retain this book. I was excited about it. When I left there, I would go on XA Speakers and study it and listen to the same guy with an eye patch and go through my book and make notes. And then I went to, I found a, a meeting that was, you know, not, not aligned, I'll say with what I was taught. And one day it was like different, like com- formats for each day at this one group. And one of, on Thursdays, it was big book study. So I'm thinking it's like a big book study that I'm used to. I walk in with my book. I'm all excited. And again, like no shade, no judgment, whatever. But they're like, okay, open up to page 500. I was like, that's not the first 164 pages. That's not a big book study. Like that's someone else's experience. And that's great for them, but that's not going to tell me how to stay sober. (laughs) Like, um, So I signed up to chair that meeting. And now I and but a lot of it was ego, right? So now I'm like, I finally found something that makes sense to me. And I, I learned about myself because I never had any direction. Like I worked at a call center, it was my first job other than sketchy stuff. And, um, you know, I I was like, I'm good at this, right? Like I, I, I learned that I am a really good teacher. I can break things down and explain it even though I fully believe that like the 12-step program Like the foundation of it is the same across the board. However, the way that you're going to hear it and internalize it is different than how I am, right? So I learned that I was able to look at you, look at you, look at you and explain it the way that you all need to hear it separately instead of being like, no, just listen to me because I know better. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um,
1: That's a gift. That's a gift to uh, be able to do that.
2: And at the time, though, it was all like, oh, I know you don't. I'm big or small. You know, like on the Matilda trend. And, you know, I sponsored a bunch of people at 60 Days Sober, which is a good thing. Like, I'm not dogging that, but it was all like, I was, the way that I would share in meetings, (laughs) okay, I'd be like, I have my book, I'm like, do this or die. And I'd throw the book in the middle of the room and be like, the toolkit's laid at your feet, pick it up or don't, you know, like, just like wild, absolutely wild. And it's like, I was passionate about it, but I still didn't believe it for me. I still didn't believe that I had to apply the spiritual principles to all my affairs in order to be successful. If I sponsored enough people, if I spoke with enough passion, then I'm good. I got this fancy little AA logo tattooed on my shoulder at eight months sober. Mistake. Huge mistake. Because you know what you don't want to do is be dead drunk staring at that crying (laughs) saying what have I done (laughs) oh my god was this in Dallas no this was in the Rio Grande Valley I lived in Harlingen for about six years oh okay because I was gonna say where was
1: I when you were sharing in these (laughs) (laughs) movies I don't want to see
0: that living your
2: best life somewhere (laughs) like uh, away from me you know and in in Harlingen like there isn't like that treatment center was the only kind of like big book recovery that was so I it was my duty (laughs) I'm like a disciple I'm gonna I'm gonna come and save this group you know just all of it was just so off and that's something I've really spent the last like six years of sobriety like looking at where I failed because one of the things that I I'm blessed with is when I relapsed it wasn't because because more people died And there was these crazy relationships and I got my heart broken and all these different things. I was very, very clear that that's not why I relapsed. I relapsed because I failed to perfect and enlarge my spiritual life, period. Period. External things cannot get me drunk. It's not going to happen. I refuse to give my power away like that anymore, right? Um,
1: Elaborates whenever you say I... I failed to perfect and enlarge my spiritual life can you say what you mean by that
2: 100% so we we look at step 12 right and oftentimes and I do believe and it says in the book right so you look at somebody and you say what's the foundation stone of recovery because you look through the book we have these easter eggs for the archway through which we passed to freedom we have the keystone the cornerstones all put into place the groundwork and you say what's the foundation stone and Eight times out of 10, people say, step one. I'm like, no, it's not. Read the book. The foundation stone is step 12, right? That is the meat and potatoes. It's the most important step. But it's the most important step because in order to do it, I have to do the rest of them. I can't just do that because I'm doing it for nothing, right? Um, And it's all talk. It's no walk, right? But even then, when we look at step 12 and people do see the significance of it, I say, what's step 12? And they say working with others. I'm like, okay, great. What's the second half of step 12? That's only part of it, right? So I can sit there and sponsor 30 women all day and not practice these principles in all of my affairs, right? And or be interested in, in trying to do that. And that's the thing, because we fail all the time, but am I willing to look at it, admit what I'm wrong and go back and fix it. Right. And that to me is like the, the catalyst of all of it. So during that time in my life, I would pray, I would meditate, but it was never intentional. I mean, not, not, I don't want to say never, but more times than not, it wasn't intentional. You know, it's like, I, I talk to a lot of people about meditation. It's something that, like, I'm really big on mindfulness. Buddhism is, like, my spiritual path. And when I talk to people about it, they're like, no, no, I meditate when I'm putting on my makeup. I meditate when I'm driving. I meditate in the shower. I'm like, no, but, like, are you meditating? You know what I mean? Like, that's great. Do that. And are you, are you bringing spiritual principles into your life and, like, being aware and, like, spending time quietly within yourself? And and doing a 10-step and doing the nightly review in the 11th step. That's something, honestly, I'm such, I get all weird about that. Because they're like, yeah, I 10-step in my nightly. I'm like, that's not a 10-step. That's part of step 11. And that means that you're missing an entire step if you think that that's what that is. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's the spot check stuff, man. So, I would sponsor a 1,000 people, men and women for that matter. Because... I'm a little gay, and, like, it works sometimes, yeah, (laughs) Um, but I, I would sit there and throw the book in the middle of the room and talk over people, so my ego is left completely unchecked, my sex conduct, even though I'm like, oh, I'm a monogamous, and I don't, like, you know, I'm not promiscuous, and I don't cheat, so my sex conduct is fine, wrong, wrong, you know what I mean, because everything I did was manipulative, everything I did was transactional, Everything I did was, oh, I said I was the martyr, you know, I'm like, but you just have to love me. No, you won't love me. So I'm going to go like die, you know, in a corner in my room, you know, like I talk crap about people, you know what I mean? Like I, I gossiped, I, all, all, all the defects, because I, when we, when we're looking at like defects to assets and like step seven, it's just, how have I shown up just, due to conditioning it's not that I'm a bad person I've just shown up in these ways and what would it look like to live a principled life right I wasn't looking at that I was above that I can still do whatever I want as long as I'm throwing around this book and teaching it to people so it was all style no substance getting the tattoo it's all about what you're seeing so my actual spiritual life and that's something i think a lot of us get confused about right because it's like but it says progress not perfection actually no it doesn't it's a spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection so i'd use the book against myself I'd be like well you know i'm with this woman and she's in a relationship with someone else but i'm in love with her at least she's not straight so progress not perfection what no that's not what that means weirdo
1: but i've said that before too like being able to like use the book as a weapon and manipulate it to fit whatever narrative I want it to. One hundred percent. father was very, very good at that. Uh-huh. Um, pistol, he's not here anymore. But I've like I've been guilty of that, you know, just picking the parts of the book that fit what I want it to, and um, and I've seen other people do it too. Absolutely. That's the importance of like of ten and eleven and having a sponsor so somebody can.
2: They're like what? Yeah, <laughs> there is that like that specific one right? Because I called my sponsor at the time, which already red flags right? Because she's my roommate. Later on, she became my fiance. Whatever, it's fine. But like, I was I was very much in love and whatever. Long story short, I call her and I'm like, hey take off your best friend hat and put on your sponsor hat. Here's what's going on. I'm going to go see, I'm going to call her Sally. I'm going to go see Sally. And she was like, Nick, do not go see her. Like, you are crazy in this area. Like, you're going to end up dying over this. Like, stop. And so what I did was like, hey, man, cancel. counsel with others is great, but you're not the arbiter of my sex conduct. Okay, me and God are good. I know God's will. A guy with my eye patch taught me the book. Okay, I'm good. Thank you so much for your opinion. I'm going to go. So I grabbed someone else. I'm like, hey, here's the situation. What do you think? Like, dude, you're really sick around this. You're going to get loaded over this. Like, stop. I'm like, thank you so much. You're not the orbiter of my sex conduct. The book says uh, if we're sorry. I wasn't sorry. And that's the thing about, like, sex conduct in the book. I've had that. Fast forward a few years. I have to spawn see. And she was like, okay, but I'm like, dude, you are going to get loaded over this. Stop. And she comes into my job, right? I'm like waiting tables or whatever. And she comes in, she slams down the big book and starts reading it. She was like, that's only a half truth. If we're sorry about our conduct then it's, you know, we're not going to drink. And I was like, hey, do me a favor. I need you to keep reading. Because if we're not sorry, and our conduct continues to harm others, we're quite sure to drink. This is not a theory. This is a of our experience. I'm like, that's where you're at right now. Stop it. And I love you, because you are me three years ago. You know, <laughs> like, 100%. I get you. I'm not judging you. <laughs> just hear me out. And she got loaded, like, shortly thereafter, just like I did. You know? She's sober now. Praise God. Love her so much. She, she, and that's one of the things about this deal is, like, I see the, the good in you. Every single one of us, right? When we're sick, we show up as a Looney Tune, and I'm very clear that you're not a bad person. And, like, for me, like, my concept and, like, w- when I talk about perfecting and enlarging, it's, like, I'm trying to get connected to that higher self that already lives inside of me.
0: Are you or someone you know struggling with the inability to stop drinking? At the Magdalen House, we believe that alcoholic women deserve a place to recover with dignity. In our two-week residential program, clients will be introduced to what alcoholism is and what alcoholism isn't, as well as be presented with the solution, all in a loving and supportive environment. All of our programs are at absolutely no cost, and because we accept no government money, We can accept women all over the world and stick to our own curriculum. If you want to stop drinking and cannot, call 214-324-9261 for a phone screen.
2: A lot of people have, and I was always taught this like illustration. I think when we're talking about step three, but it's like the sunlight or the spirit illustration that'll do it on a whiteboard. And it's like the little sun and a little pathway to a little stick figure. And then we fill it up with resentment, fear, anger, you know, all selfishness that's blocking us from that sunlight. One day, <clears throat> when I was using that for a group I was teaching, I looked at it and I was like, this doesn't make sense to me anymore. And not in that I think it's wrong, but I was like, I need to draw it different. So I just drew like an outline of a person. And the sunlight, I put the circle in the stomach and then like a circle in the in the head for the brain, right? So it's like my mind, my selfishness, and then the spirit that's already in me. And then like in the chest and everything in between, then I start writing all those words that's blocking me from the part of God. The fundamental idea of God lives in every man, woman, and child, right? So it's already in there. I'm not trying to go out there. I just need to get connected in here because my brain is not operated by my gut where God lives. So that's That's what we're trying to Illustration.
1: Yeah. I've always like said that too. Like when I'm teaching is, you know, the fundamental idea of God is within, right? And like the 12 steps help unblock us. And then I would do the illustration with the sunlight this way i'm like okay that's counterintuitive to what i just said because i said that the but i don't know how else to illustrate this so i'm just going to keep doing this because it's still a great illustration it is it's so good but i love i love that one that you just yeah so thanks take that now
2: absolutely do it up man you know especially with us that like came in like me super atheist but also like more so agnostic and angry at the idea of a god you know, sometimes we say that it can be whatever conception, but then, and then we explain it in a different way, right? Uh, and then, like, those of us who came in like me just get, like, annoyed, because I'm like, I see what, like, do you, what, no, you know what I mean? So, like, being able to, again, like, okay, you're a Christian, you're Jewish, you're atheist, but you can get down with, like, collective consciousness, great. I can teach step two to each of you in the same group and make it make sense, Right. Because, again, it's not cookie cutter, but the foundation is the same. And I always find it necessary, like, just one more thing on perfect and enlarge, right? I think that that's one of those things that people are like, oh, that's really conflicting. because And that's why I said that earlier, because it says spiritual progress, not perfection, right? But it's telling me I have to be perfect. No, it's not, right? Perfect literally means to make something as good as it possibly can be at any given moment. doesn't mean perfect, right? So I am going inside the four agreements, right? I'm going to struggle this day and this day are going to look wildly different depending on circumstances and honestly, outside issues like my mental state, right? However, on any given day, can I still try to show up as good as I possibly can? And then when I mess up, can I go back and own it? And those were the things that I was missing. Right. So I had 19 months sober the first time I got sober. And probably the last year of it was dry. And like that's my truth. Like a lot of people say, as soon as the spiritual malady kicks in, like I'm gone. If I don't do this for five minutes, I'm out. And and that didn't resonate with me. I'm like that's just not true for me, you know, and, and that can have to do because it's a progressive disease. And I watched myself progress severely. However, I do know that I can stay sober on my own power, quote unquote, for a little bit, but it's not even worth it. At the end, I was like, I might as well have gotten loaded because I was so miserable, right? And I will get loaded. That I'm very clear on. I will not stay sober. And at that 19 months, yeah, I just... I remember looking at my sponsor roommate, you know, I was like, hey, I'm going to get drunk. So am I going to go get a 40 for me or do you want to drink so I'll get wine? Because I hate wine, but she liked it. And she's like, no, don't do it. Okay, go get one, right? Um, and, you know, I really, so, and here's the thing, right? So I had a plan. I know this book to and fro. I, at the point, I knew that this book back then better than I know it now. Right. Like, I truly believe that God wiped my memory and was like, stop it. (laughs) Like, you don't get to stop it. You get to relearn this whole thing. This time that I got sober. Even though I I knew this book to and fro, I knew I understood my alcoholism in and out. It doesn't matter when you're in the mental obsession because the mental obsession is based in delusion, it's the disease of deception. Right. So, my mental obsession told me. I'm going to get loaded for a year during that year. I'm just really going to go for it because I also really want to be a recovered woman. Like this life attracted me. Right. So I'm like, I'm going to get loaded for a year and I'm going to come back to the rooms and I'll do the thing. And then I'll stay sober forever. Within three months I was on my knees. Right. Like I, the lie I told myself is I get to control what my relapse looks like that is insane, but I did, that was, so I got sober December 2011, so it was probably, you know, 2013, 2014, maybe nah, whatever, and I was in and out until 2016, basically, full transparency, I guess, so that treatment center, like, you know, a lot of us do the thing, where it's like, oh, my God, this place saved my life, and I have to come back here and work here, and I owe them, and I'm indebted, and, duh, and like the pedestals and, and all that stuff, which we can get very sick around. I got very sick around. And and I also had never had a direction in life. So I was like, oh, I finally know what I want to do. I want to work in treatment. And I'll never forget. I was like, I'm going to work here one day, and the RA was like, okay, so let's get you detox, you know? Um, <laughs> And see how it goes. But I did end up working at that place. And I lied to them. And I told them I had been sober the whole time. And I was like a month sober. So I kept up that lie for a long time. For about a year. And then that dishonesty ate at me every day. Because I loved my job and I was honestly really good at it. Even though, you know, um I would cry to m- myself to sleep almost every night. I'm like, I'm a fraud. I'm a, I am am a fraud. I am sitting here and telling these women that they have to be rigorously honest while I'm lying to their faces. And eventually, like, I got honest with someone I worked with thinking that, like, they were, like, cool, you know? They weren't cool. They snitched. No, <laughs> they they actually, like, did the deal, and they they were scared for me. And, um they told and you know my people were like listen we're not this isn't about firing you this is like we're scared for you and so finally I got into a place where I could be honest which was nice but then I relapsed because I fully believe that I do not have the luxury to be that dishonest for that long and expect everything to be fine so I was using and everything was really bad I was drinking, whatever, and um, I get pulled into the office. I'm trying to do long story short. I know that I talk a lot, and it's annoying. Um, To me, at least. But I get pulled in to it was this guy, Chad, and this Woman Stephanie. A lot of people listening to this might know both of them, and they are incredible humans. I'm forever grateful. But they pull me into their office. At this point, I'm engaged and we're both getting loaded and it's just, it's just a bad time. And they pull me into their office and they're like, I think that you're in an abusive relationship and we want to get you help. And I'm like, I'm not in, I'm not in an abusive relationship. I'm not sober because I'm crying at work all the time. At this point, I'm just decompensating. Right. Um, Are you still everyone... working
1: at the same treatment center?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, nobody not today, knows you're... At that
1: point. Yeah. But nobody knows that you're using
2: right right I'm really good at, when I wouldn't at work you know what I mean like and that kind of goes to like what I was saying earlier like I can't control it for a long period of time but like when I need to like I'm able to at some point until finally I lose it right so yeah and mind you these people were there when I was in treatment so they've seen me all the way through and they're like okay well we still want to get you help I'm like I don't have a job anymore right as I say this all cold, I'm hysterical crying the whole time. And they're like, We need to get you out of here. I'm like, I need to get my dogs and I'm not going. And like, go home, get your dogs, call us. And I was like, okay, great. I leave and I just block everybody. And I think it was about a month or two. And I'm not gonna go into all the gory details of how bad it got, but finally I called and I was like, help me. And they're like, Okay. So mind you, I think that one of the patterns that I've Got, come up with is is ego is a really big ego and dishonesty are really 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 big parts of my story and my failure so <laughs> I'm like okay I need help and they're like okay call this person that I've known forever and he's like okay all you need is six hundred dollars I'm like I don't have any money you know that's always something that drives me nuts with like treatment centers. is like okay I, we got you scholarship all you need is six hundred dollars I'm like what <laughs> 6 million bro. Like what do you mean? I'm not working and I'm loaded. Like I got nothing. And then finally Chad goes he I call him and he was like, "Wait, you're still Oh my god. He was like, "Do you need to detox?" And I was like, "No, I don't need to, to detox." Like it's not I'm not physically addicted at this point. Like I'm just like losing my mind. He was like, "Okay, great. So, I just need you to go to sober living." Like it's not that serious. So you already know what to do. You just need to actually do it. Um, and he's I like, call this person in Kerrville. She owns a, a sober living. And I go, the client? She was one of my clients at the treatment center I worked at, right? And I was like, you want me to call a client? And as for a scholarship, living, you got me messed up. So I do, long story short, I end up in Kerrville shortly thereafter. Um, and 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 talk about humility, right? Because I'd go into step one group and scream at people and go, you're going to die, and like the whole deal. And there was this one, one girl that was sitting in my step one class before I had left. And I was so abrasive, man. Um, so I'm like talking about the, I think I was talking about the allergy at this point. So I look at her, I go, okay, and I'm like using them, for example, like trying to engage the group, right? And I'm like, hey, so-and-so, what's your drug of choice? And she goes, Oxycontin. I was like, okay, great. So how many would you do a day? And she was like, one. I go, okay, that's a lie. Next, how about you over here? Three weeks later, she was my roommate in server living. All of these people that, that that were that went to the treatment center that I worked at ended up living because we've sent people to Kerrville. So now they're all busting into my room. They're like Nikki Maloney, you know what I mean? And it was just the most horrific, embarrassing, humbling, incredible experience I could ever have. Right. I that 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 was that was a time to be a And one thing I also always touch on is when Chad brought me in and I was sitting there, I was crying. I was like, I looked at him at one point during our conversation and I was like, Chad, I think, I think it's all a lie. I think I'm just a fraud. I don't think that I ever had this. And he looked at me and he said, Nikki, you're not a fraud. You were a sick girl who got well and got sick again. And that, oh God, it's, that has stuck This is so cute. Uh, that has stuck with me this entire time. Um, I think it was a big part of allowing myself to get this thing again, because that's and we see it all the time in the rooms. People, time doesn't matter. I could go out in a few months from now if I, you know, stop doing what's necessary. I'm very clear on that, and that doesn't make all the work that I've done irrelevant it doesn't make it a lie so when I watch ever anyone else have a little bit of time and do this deal and go back out and come back like I think that there is a lot of fear there was for me and I'm really grateful that the people around me they they showered me in love you know I was I posted my 24-hour chat and I was so scared and I had never that was the first time I actually felt because people would say all the time like we hear it all the time, right? Like something big happens and they like get a raise or a promotion or some like big event. And they're like, I'm so humbled. And I'm like, make that make sense. You know, when people are validating me, I'm not humbled. I'm like, yes, feed my ego, validate me, you know? But that was the first time that I'm reading these comments and getting these messages. And I felt the physical sensation of humility and it was like fire, and it was exactly what I needed, and the cool thing was is because I was given an adequate presentation of this program, I did know what to do, and that was the difference is this time I was completely honest with at least one human 24-7, right? I, all of the ugly thoughts, all of the things I didn't want anyone to know about, all of those things, I said it out loud to somebody, and that's still my truth today. Somebody knows everything that I am capable of being aware of because there's a lot of things I still don't even realize about myself or I don't remember. And as they come up, I'm like, oh gotta, gotta, I can't be alone in it, you know. And and that's the thing, right? Is like being able to be redirectable, being able to continue to be teachable, being willing to be wrong, being open and honest, continuously being willing. Even when I'm kicking and screaming, even when it takes me a little bit to get to that place, but like seeking the willingness. Um, and using the 12 steps not to be able to present as well and recovered and shame people when they're not there yet using it to actually perfect and enlarge my internal condition my spiritual life like that was the big the big difference um and I'm very grateful for that because you know and just for the sake of like like I said before my cousin died but like truthfully you know, when I was a kid, it was my cousin, it was my friend Sarah, a lot of suicide and then just a lot of death. And I really believe that that's why I was getting loaded. And I'm still living in, in sober living. And uh, I was working at Bonsai in Kerrville. It's like a rite of passage here. I got a call from Pinky. And at this point, it's like, every time we call each other, there's this fear. It's like, who died? right and she's like um i go to the bathroom and i answer it and she was like hey i'm so sorry are are you in a place like can you sit down i was like just tell me who it is just tell me And i'm like cycling through my friends it would make sense and she said my friend corinne who's been one of my best friends since i was eight years old like we you know at the bus stop whatever And I mean, I was on my knees, screaming, crying, like just ripped me apart. It was just, it was horrific, right? And at that point in my life, you know, I was, I was about, I guess I was about six months sober. And I don't want to say that like the thought of using didn't come up because I'm not sure that that's true, but I know that I stayed sober and I know that I had my people around me. And that wasn't even the worst one, right? So we fast forward a little bit. I leave sober living. I end up moving to Dallas um, to work at a transitional living for a while after a year sober. And while I'm in Dallas, just like, bam, bam, bam. My friend Tom, my friend Rainer, my friend Kevin, which were we were all part of the same group. They all overdosed and died. And that was just like wrecking me. And then Lee, uh, who I alluded to earlier, was my my human, my rider die. I have Wonderwall tattooed on my back for her. Like she she was, she lived in Texas with me at one point. Like I, I, I loved her more than anything in this entire world. And Tom was her ex-boyfriend and Rainer and Kevin were friends. And we're just like grieving all this together, but she's still an active addiction. And I'd gotten her scholarship into a treatment center and then like, it didn't stick and she's out there and like, she progressed severely. February 2019 I actually messaged her I was like hey are you alive I just I keep seeing your name and on February 1st she's like yeah I'm still alive never stopped doing that I love you so much And I was like two days later I'm like hey I had a dream that like people were trying to get you and I was like saving you and making you detox and she was like oh my god you made me detox that's so mean I'm like shut up (laughs) you know like and then February 18th she died and that was the worst one and I will never forget that week because I had uh, a state-funded treatment center in Dallas. I had a weekly commitment to do an H and I, and the H and I was like two days after she died. And I did that. I went to my home group. My sponsee was ready to do her fist set, so I had her come over and do her fist set. You know what I mean? It's like I don't say that like oh, and I still showed up and did all the things. It's like no, 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 I had this foundation, um, and because I was able to scream and cry. And grieve deeply, and still show up. The idea to get loaded did not even enter my mind. Not because I'm strong. Not because I'm smart. Not because I'm like super. Recu- it's because of like what was given to me, right? And like that to me is the biggest hope of this program. It's one thing to be to like, oh my God, the promises are coming true, and I have this great job and stay sober. That's one thing. But when when the rubber meets the road and the world collapses. And we're still able to match calamity with serenity. That's what this program is for, right? Because the world doesn't care. People don't stop dying. People don't, you know, stop firing you from their job and exploiting you and talking smack about you because you're trying to do a thing. The world doesn't care that we're trying to stay sober. You know what I mean? That's the cool thing about the fellowship, because like we do, but the the world's not going to stop. So how do I get to a place where my mental obsession has been lifted? And I can, you know, meet things with dignity and grace. And when I say dignity and grace, I'm not saying without screaming and thrashing and crying. That exists, too. Both exists, right? And um, six months to the day later, my mom died from cirrhosis. And I got to go to her funeral. I was a pallbearer. I did her eulogy. Like, my family was a mess. And for the first time, I got to be a rock. And I had not been there forever. I hadn't seen these people in a decade. And Pinky shows up. And I'll never forget this because, you know, last time I went to New York, Pinky's like, I'm really scared you're going to get loaded. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm fine. You don't understand. I don't want to this time. Before I knew anything about this disease. And then next thing you know, I'm gone. I'm MIA. and breaking her heart because she just wants me to succeed so bad. So this time, I haven't seen her. She's never met me in sobriety. She's never met recovered Nikki. So it was like this wild experience because we're standing there at my mom's funeral and I, she kept like giving me these looks. And I'm like, what? And then finally, I realized what it was. She looked at me and she was like, I wasn't expecting you to because I was a basket case. I mean, everything, I would just scream and cry. And, like everything felt so big to me all the time. And I'm like level- and I'm here, and I'm calm, and I'm collected. I have my my people, and I have my internal stuff, and whatever. And she looks at me, and she's like, "I wasn't expecting you to to handle this so well." And I was like, "Oh, you've been waiting for me to lose it and go get drunk? Of course you have." And so one of the things we we mess up on this program, right? Is like, "Oh, you don't trust me? I've been sober for this long." No, of course she doesn't trust me. Her experience shows. That I'm not trustworthy and I'm gonna lose my my mind and go get loaded and that's my fault that's not her fault I was like oh my god you've never met me hi I'm Nikki I'm a recovering alcoholic you know what I mean like wow it was such a cool it was a, a, another like humbling moment I was like oh I'm so grateful that you get to experience the side of me that you fought for for so long you know um and yeah, dude, I've, I've lost jobs in sobriety. Um, I've been fired. I have lost my ever-loving mind. I've gone through that. I went through three breakups now, one from one that I couldn't leave forever. And it was like super not great, um, but it broke my heart because I love her. Yeah, you know, both exist. It's sick. It's toxic. And I love you. And it, it breaks my heart. You know what I mean? Um, the next one was just like, we both knew it was wrong and we just stopped. And then the last one, uh, was a very recent breakup I went through. It's been about a month. Um, and I respect and love this woman so, so, so much. And it just didn't work. Um, it broke my heart. And yet here we are. You know what I mean? Um, I've moved from Kerrville to Dallas, to Austin, to Kerrville, changed jobs. I left my career in treatment. I realized one day that, like, I, I just can't do it anymore. It's it's a really hard job, and I left. That's where I'm at right now. I'm waiting tables con- currently. My life just hit reset. I had absolutely no desire to get loaded, you know? So, okay.
1: um, So you're waiting tables. Is that where you thought your life would be
2: today? Absolutely not. <laughs> so, fun fact, um, I was working... I was working at a place in Dallas and I got really burnt out and I actually got fired. I'm really good at working in treatment like that. That's something that I know I've been told a million times. um, I connect with people. I care. It's like very evident how much I love every little dope fiend and drunk that I come in contact with. You know, I, you know, I left that place in Dallas and everyone's like, Oh, come work at this place. Go work at that place. I'm like, no, their philosophy doesn't align with me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go wait tables and then I'm going to let God tell me what comes next. So I went, I waited tables and within like, I think two months, someone walked in and was like, hey, and then I got a call. Next thing you know, I'm on my way to Austin to work at this treatment center that aligned. And then from there, I got back to Kerrville to help open and develop a a treatment center in Fredericksburg, which I stand by 100%. The program's incredible. The 12-step side is so good. And I get to go up there and do groups sometimes, but I just couldn't. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm like, I'm just going to weigh tables. I'm really good at weighing tables. I'm like, hey, you know, like super, I make good money. um, And I don't know what's next. And it is jarring. It is very scary. I am in like this weird, you know, there's been some darkness lately It's just the truth of like, I really thought that this was my dream. And gonna, I, I thought that I finally was on the trajectory for. because all I want is like to be in a committed relationship and plant roots and have a career. And like I said, I just went through that breakup that I thought was like the one. And I left the career that I thought was the one. And I am completely... It's like I'm lost, but not in the same way that I was talking about earlier. I am lost in with full faith that I'm going to get direction. You know, like I, the, the mindfulness and meditation stuff I'm very passionate about. I know that I need to do something with it. I just don't know what or how. So I'm just going to do this because I know that when I do the right thing, I've never been hungry, you know, and that's just the truth. So I have no idea what comes next, but I know it's going to be good. I don't, I like, I really want to go to sleep and wake up and be there is my truth. Like, I'm not going to mind, but, oh, I'm so faithful. Everything's, I'm so happy about (laughs) where it's just not the truth and both exist. Like, I know it's going to be good, you know? So. Yeah.
1: I love that. That's so good. What's this up? This has been really good. My final question is. uh, is Yeah. if you could leave the listeners with one takeaway, whether it's for somebody who's getting sober, coming back, trying to stay sober, whatever it is, and they were only going to hear this one thing, what would
2: you want to leave them with? Oh, my God. Yikes. Sorry, that's a really hard one because there's so many things. Wow, I'm blanking. That's hard. Um, my brain's trying to tell me it's something else, but what keeps, like, coming up is, like, no matter how far down the scale we have gone, you know, nobody, like, please, the the comparing to others, if you have a sponsor that shames you for feeling sad and says you're in self-pity, please do not internalize that and just find a different sponsor. You're allowed to feel feelings. You are a human. We just need to feel build a foundation, and that is a little rigid, you know what I mean? And then we get to find the gray. Right? We get to, like, combine the black and white and make everything make sense. You are a human. I promise you that you are loved. If you're right now lying about your sobriety date, let me be your sign that they're going to love you anyway. You know, they're all going to love you. We just want you to be alive. I don't care what that looks like. I really don't care. The, The lies that you're keeping and the secrets that you're keeping the number one lie that's that's hurting you right now is thinking that when you get honest about them, you're not going to be received with love. That's not true. Let us love you. Just let us do it. We want to, I promise.
1: I love that. This has been so good. <laughs> Y'all if you've loved this episode as much as I have, please uh, leave us a review on Apple podcasts, rate us on Spotify, Upload to your Instagram story, share with a friend, do all of the things so this episode can reach the person or people that God intends it to um, so we can hear this amazing experience, strength, and hope that was brought by Nikki today. Thank you so much. I know this took us a little bit to get nailed down, but I'm <laughs> glad we did. It was so worth it. So have Absolutely. a great day and let me you know too. what happens in the next chapter of your life.
2: I will. And if anyone's struggling, I'm just going to plug it real quick. If anyone's struggling with meditation, you can look for me on YouTube and I have some, some posted for like beginners.
1: Perfect. Thank you. I will, um, I will put your information in there and so they can find it. So thanks. All right. See you later. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
0: Is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenehouse.org.